Chapter One of Pioneers of the Pacific Coast. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. Pioneers of the Pacific Coast A Chronicle of Sea Rovers and Fur Hunters by Agnes C. Lout. Chapter One The Voyage of the Golden Hind. All through the sixteenth century the South Seas were regarded as a mysterious wonder-world, whence Spain drew unlimited wealth of gold and silver bullion, of pearls and precious stones. Spain had declared the Pacific a closed sea to the rest of the world, but in 1567 it happened that Sir John Hawkins, an English mariner, was cruising in the Gulf of Mexico when a terrific squall, as he said, drove his ships landward to Veracruz and he sent a messenger to the Spanish viceroy there asking permission to dock and repair his battered vessels. Now on one of the English ships was a young officer, not yet twenty-five years of age, named Francis Drake. Twelve Spanish merchantmen rigged as frigates lay in the harbor, and Drake observed that cargo of small bulk but ponderous weight and evidently precious was being stowed under capacious holds. Was this the gold or silver bullion that was enriching Spain beyond men's dreams? Whence did it come? Could English privateers intercept it on the high seas? Perhaps the English adventurers evinced too great an interest in that precious cargo, for though the Spanish governor had granted them permission to repair their ships, the English had barely dismantled when Spanish fire-ships came drifting down on their moorings. A cannon-shot knocked a mug of beer from Hawkins's hand, and head over heels he fell into the sea, while a thousand Spaniards began sabring the English crew ashore. Some friendly hand threw out a rope to Hawkins, who was clad in complete armor. In the dark, unseen by the enemy, he pulled himself up the side of a smaller ship, and, cutting hawsers, scudded for the open sea. There escaped also of Hawkins' fleet another small ship, which was commanded by Francis Drake, and after much suffering both vessels reached England. One can imagine the effect on young Drake of the treacherous act, and of the glimpse of that cargo of gold and silver treasure. The English captains had but asked a night's lodging from a power supposed to be friendly. They had been met by a pirate raid. Good. Young Francis Drake eagerly took up Spain's challenge. He would meet the raid with counter-raid. Three years later he was cruising the Spanish main, capturing and plundering ships and forts and towns. In 1572 he led his men across the Isthmus of Panama, and intercepted and captured a Spanish convoy of treasure coming overland. Near the south side of the isthmus, he climbed a tree and had his first glimpse of the Pacific. It set his blood on the leap. On bended knee, he prayed aloud to the Almighty to be permitted to sail the first English ship on that fair sea, and having recrossed the isthmus and loaded his ships with plunder, he bore away for England and reached Plymouth in August, 1573. The raid on Panama had brought Drake enormous wealth. At his own cost he built three frigates and two sloops to explore the South Seas, his purpose being to enter the Pacific through the Strait of Magellan, which no Englishman had yet ventured to pass. These ships he equipped as if for royal tournament. Players of the violin and the harp discoursed music at each meal. Rarest wines filled the lockers. Drake, clad in rich velvet, dined on plates of pure gold served by ten young noblemen, who never sat or donned hat in his presence and on his own ship, the Pelican, afterwards called the Golden Hind, he had a hundred picked marines, men eager for battle and skillful in wielding the cutlass. 
his men loved him as a dauntless leader they feared him too with a fear that commanded obedience on the instant queen elizabeth was in a quandary how to treat her gallant buccaneer and rover of the high seas england and spain were at peace and she could not give drake an open royal commission to raid the commerce of a friendly power but she did present him with a magnificent sword to signify that she would have no objection if he should cut his way through the portals leading to the closed sea the fleet set sail in december fifteen seventy seven and steered by the west coasts of morocco and the cape verde islands the coast of brazil was reached in april two of the ships were abandoned near the mouth of the rio de la plata after having been stripped of provisions in august the remaining three ships entered the tempestuous seas around cape horn drake drove before the gales with sails close reefed and hatches battened and came out with only one of his three ships left the first english keel to cleave the waters of the pacific in honor of the feat drake renamed his ship the golden hind perhaps there was jocose irony in the suggestion of gold and speed certainly it is the crew of the golden hind were well content with the possession of both gold and speed before advancing far up the west coast of south america quite by chance which seems always to favor the daring somewhere off the coast of chile drake picked up an indian fisherman the natives of south america for the best of reasons hated their spanish masters who enslaved them treated them brutally and forced them to work in the pearl fisheries and the mines drake persuaded the indian to pilot his ship into the harbor of valparaiso never dreaming that any foreign vessel had entered the pacific spanish treasure ships lay rocking to the tide in fancied security and actually dipped colors to drake drake laughed waved his plume hat back in salute dealt out wine to give courage to his merry boys and sailed straight amid the anchored treasure ships barely had the golden hind taken a position in the midst of the enemy's fleet when selecting one of the staunchest vessels of the enemy drake had grappling irons thrown out clamping his ship to her victim in a trice the english sailors were on the spanish deck with swords out and the rallying cry of god and saint george down with spanish dogs dumbfounded and unarmed down the hatches over the bulwarks into the sea reeled the surprised spaniards drake clapped hatches down upon those trapped inside and turned his cannon on the rest of the unguarded spanish fleet literally not a drop of blood was shed the treasure ships were looted of their cargoes and sent drifting out to sea all the other harbors of the pacific were raided and looted in similar summary fashion and somewhere seaward from lima drake learned of a treasure ship bearing untold riches the glory of the south seas the huge caravel in which the spaniards sent home to spain the yearly tribute of bullion the golden hind with her sails spread to the wind sought for the glory like a harrier for its quarry one crew of spaniards on a small ship that was scuttled saved their throats by telling drake that the great ship was only two days ahead and loaded to the water-line with wealth untold drake crowded sail had muskets and sword furbished and thirty cannon loaded and called on his crew to quit themselves like men and when the wind went down he ordered small boats out to toll the golden hind for five days the hunt lasted never slackening by day or by night and when at three in the afternoon of a day in march drake's brother shouted from the cross trees sail ho every man aboard went mad with impatience to crowd on the last inch of canvas and overtake the rich prize the englishman saw that the spanish ship was so heavily laden that she was making but slow progress and so unconscious was the spanish captain of danger 
that when he discerned a ship approaching he actually lowered canvas and awaited what he thought might be fresh orders from the viceroy the golden hind sped on till she was almost alongside the spaniard then drake let go full blast all thirty cannon as fast as he could shift and veer for the cannoneers to take aim yards sails masts fell shattered and torn from the splendid spanish ship the english clapped their grappling hooks to her sides and naked swords did the rest to save their lives the spanish crew after a feeble resistance surrendered and bullion to the value in modern money of almost a million dollars fell into the hands of the men of the golden hind drake's vessel was now loaded deep with treasure and preparations were made to sail homeward but her commander realized it would be dangerous to attempt to return to england by the way of the spanish main with a ship so heavily laden that she must sail slowly it was then that legends of a northeast passage came into his mind he would sail northward in search of the strait that was supposed to lead through the continent to the atlantic the mythical strait of Anian. as the world knows there was no such passage but how far north did drake sail seeking it some accounts say as far as oregon others as far as the northern coast of california but at all events as he advanced further north he found that the coast sheered farther and farther west so he gave over his attempt to find the strait of the legends and turned back and anchored in a fair and good bay which is now known as drake's bay a short distance north of san francisco and naming the region new albion he claimed it for queen elizabeth in july fifteen seventy nine he weighed anchor and steered southwest he reached the Maluka Islands in November, and arrived at Java in March. In June he rounded the Cape of Good Hope, and then beat his way up the Atlantic to England. In September, 1580, the Golden Hind entered the harbor of Plymouth. How Drake became the lion of the hour when he reached England, after having circumnavigated the globe, need not be told. Ballads were recited in his honor. Queen Elizabeth dined in state on the Golden Hind, and after the dinner, with the sword which she had given him when he set out, she conferred on Drake the honor of knighthood, as the seal of his country's acclaim. Drake's conclusion regarding the supposed passage from the Pacific to the Atlantic were correct, though for two hundred years they were rejected by geographers. His words are worth setting down. The Asian and American continents, if they be not fully joined, yet seem they to come very near from those high and snow-covered mountains, the north and northwest winds send abroad their frozen nymphs to the infecting of the whole air. Hence it comes that in the midst of their summer the snow hardly departeth from these hills at all. Hence come those thick mists and most stinking fogs. For these reasons we conjecture that either there is no passage at all through these northern coasts, which is most likely, or, if there be, that it is unnavigable. End of chapter 1